How might teachers find that sweet spot between intensity and ease in their own lives, as well as how we program for our students? In this third Teachers Who Run episode, we talk to high school science teacher May Liu. I'm your host, Celeste Kirsch, and we are teaching tomorrow. May is a grade 10 and 11 science teacher at Ashbury College in Ottawa, who just so happens to be writing quite a bit on her Cohort 21 blog about the intersection between her practice as a runner and her world as a teacher. So naturally, I had to steal her for a few minutes to record another installment of this Teachers Who Run mini-series. In case you're not a runner, have zero interest in trying to run, and just don't get why I'm devoting three whole episodes so far to this weird hobby involving tight clothes and bright shoes, allow me to cut to the chase. This whole running thing is just a metaphor. If you stick with these episodes, even if you don't really care about running, listen to them and substitute in whatever your thing is instead of running, be it knitting, dogs, volunteering, travel, books, whatever. In this conversation, May and I discuss progression, or slowly getting better at something, a stress-to-chill ratio that prevents burnout, and how to safely share our identities with students that builds intimacy and community in our classroom. Enough intro already. Please welcome May Liu to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today, May. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to get to talk to you about my two favorite things, teaching and running. Um, But let's get started uh, by telling everyone who you are where you're from, and what you do. Okay, so my name is May. I am a teacher at Ashbury College in Ottawa. I'm originally from Toronto, grew up there, and then I moved to Ottawa, which I love, and I now teach grade 10 science and grade 12 biology there. Amazing, and tell everybody who you were as a student when you were in school. In high school, I was definitely, I was an interesting student in that I always did the bare minimum I needed to do. I did every assignment. I did. I showed up on tests. I didn't always show up for class. I was always at school, but I was probably playing video games in the cafeteria with my friends. Uh, I, yeah, I barely showed up. Maybe there half the time. I didn't really talk much in class. I didn't really like school. I felt like it was just listening to a teacher talk. I really didn't like it. I hated science. I know I'm a science teacher, but I hated it because I felt like I was just copying overhead projectors over and over again, and my hand would hurt. I would run out of line paper. It wasn't worth my time. I wasn't into it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't do poorly in school, so teachers didn't really bug me. But I also wasn't a high achiever. I didn't push myself at all either. Do you tell that to your students? Do you share that? Like, I was this kid in school. I share it all the time. Like I've, I got a zero on my grade 11 biology test. And I tell them that up front. Like, I think it takes a special talent on a unit test to get a zero. And I got a zero on my physiology test in grade 11 because uh, it was one of those days where I just showed up to class and I hadn't been to class for a little bit. So I had no idea what was going on. And then uh, here we go. There's a unit test. Great. I didn't know anything. And yeah, that was, I got a zero. I think that's actually more relatable for a student to hear a teacher say that because I don't know about you, but a lot of the teachers I know just did school really, really well. And like, you know, when we're trying to decide what are we going to do with our life? Like I did this thing really well, but whereas you, it was not 
a positive experience and you came to that decision later in life. So it's really cool that you can actually have that perspective and have that empathy for students. Mm-hmm. I definitely, I think they like it too, because they've told me it, that it makes me more normal to them. <laughs> yes. That they have more hope that they can still do well. Yes. And it wasn't like, I really loved learning but I didn't think I did because the learning I had in school, I hated. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I got older where I started thinking about how I learned as an individual and didn't really realize how much I loved learning until I realized it wasn't always copying down notes and doing things for the sake of like listening to your teacher. I grew up in a family where you couldn't do something. If a teacher said something, you had to do it to the T of what the teacher said. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like I was just mindlessly following rules. Oh, but I think also school and learning has changed so much since we would have been going to school. So let's fast forward a little bit. You Mm -hmm. start working at the Science Center. Yes, loved it. Love the Ontario Science Center. So how do you find yourself in that kind of position? And how does that transition you into becoming a teacher? To be honest, I started as I just wanted a summer job. I found a summer camp position and I was like, great, this is your typical high school summer job. So I did it. But the Science Center camp is different. It's not like normal camp. It's kind of like fun summer school when I first saw it, because you have three hours a day where you do something called programming. And it's kind of just like a workshop where you do demos or you basically do a science show for the kids. And I saw that and I was I kind of really, really liked it. And the seniors, there was a junior and a senior. So the junior is kind of your camp counselor person who sings songs, has a fun day. And the senior is the one who does the programming. And I thought it was so interesting because my senior that year was an English major who never knew science. And she made it so fun. Like, I wanted to do everything that she was, she was presenting. And so I was like, this is something I want to do. And then I became senior and I was actually the youngest person to ever get senior. So I felt so much pressure of like, look at all these amazing people. Look how creative they're being. And I have to prove why I deserve to be here. So I felt like pushed for the first time. Mm. And that was the first time I really felt like I was challenging myself. And then I was very curious about every demonstration or every workshop because I didn't pay attention in school. So when I had to do all this science programming, I'm like, uh, I don't actually know this stuff. And now I really got to learn it. <laughs> yes. And, this, and then I was like, okay, I guess I have to learn the science. But I became curious being like, what if I change this? What if I, I had a lot of what if questions. Mm. And I think that's when I really started to grow and learn about science. Well, and it's relevant. That's how I loved it. And it's alive for you at that yes. point. Oh. That's huge. I actually can so relate to that because I hated French growing up and it was always a struggle for me to be learning a second language. And then I became a tour guide in Quebec City and it was the most amazing summer job that I ever had in university, but I was going to Quebec City and all of a sudden I cared to want to learn the language and it was, you know, I, I learned a little bit more, but it was like, it's in context and you're like, oh, now I really care about it. Now it really matters. And, and I think that's so cool that like everyone has that story of like, where did you, how did you get from here mm-hmm. to here? Mm-hmm. And what was your pivot? So, yes. Yeah. And it's so cool. So I brought you on the show today because in your Cohort 21 blog, you've been writing a lot about your work as a teacher, but also as a runner, which I'm so fascinated, those two identities and how they intersect. So tell me a little bit about how your running practice 
influences your work as a teacher? I think running, this is becoming more of a theme every year the more I teach because I find this year I'm very happy with how it's shaped up because I feel like it gives a personal sense of who you are to your students without breaking any professional boundaries. I think running is something that they understand what it is. And when they hear about your running, they think they know you very, very personally, suddenly. It's intimate, but it's not inappropriate. Yeah, exactly. It's that fine. And so they feel like, oh, this is something I can connect with her about. And running for me has been such a journey. I think it's a more mental journey than it is a physical journey. I, I know I've had millions of physical benefits from running too but I think there were so many mental lessons that I went through from becoming a very slow runner to the runner I am today that I learned a lot about failing I think I grew this was running started when I was developing that growth mindset at the science center at the same mm. time so is that like university age or high school age it like was end of high this was grade 12 summer to university Got it starting then and I think as I went through university more and more and I started running came after I was probably running I started in my fourth year of university whereas the science center I'd been in starting in high school but the when I started becoming more more of a leader at the science center that sort of was pushing me way out of my comfort zone and running that was way out of my comfort zone too. And I think the two telling my students about the journey of, I just started learning about this thing and I got really into it and then it became a passion. And it was later in life, it was when I was done university. And so a lot of them feel at 17, they have to make the decision for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to tell them that you can change your mind and it's okay. And I find running is a very core example of how I changed my mind and I took to it. And maybe I won't continue running when, in 10 years, but I feel like the lessons I've learned from running will carry over to, am I doing this instead? And that lesson will go on. And it sounds like it makes you, again, like your journey as a student, it makes you more relatable to the students because you have something that you're currently learning and currently grappling with. Like I think a lot of adults present themselves as having figured things out. At least we kind of put on that veneer. Whereas when you're actively working to uh, improve your marathon time or get into the Boston Marathon, you're actually learning new skills in those yes. moments. Yeah. And I think it's also important that I, I share when I have a bad day. Mm -hmm. I share when I have a good day. But I think that makes me more human to yeah. them. Because it's like, oh, Miss Lou can have bad days too. She's not just this teacher who always knows what we are doing or is always very organized she's a person too mm -hmm. and I think that that sort of relationship it built I didn't even realize it until I started doing the cohort surveys but a lot of them were talking about the vibe it creates and the community it created in our science classroom mm. and a lot of them their biggest feedback was how much they appreciated the vibe and that it was okay to make mistakes in the class and Explain what that cohort survey is for people who maybe don't uh, know about right. that. So in cohort, we are doing some research. We are looking at an issue we think that might involve whatever demographic we want. So I'm looking at my grade 10 science students who were in an IB school, but they're taking non-IB science. That doesn't mean they're never taking science again. That just means they're not interested in the IB program. But as a result, because it's grade 10 science and you need one to graduate high school, you also have students who are aiming to pass. You also have students who want to pursue science as a career. 
So I have very, very different individuals in one class. And I'm very big about, because of who I was in high school, showing them that science is more than just research, academia, and labs. And so I asked them some questions about their perceptions of science and what they see about the science classroom and what are their thoughts when they come into the science classroom and what can improve, just overall feedback. And I think the biggest theme when I I asked over 45 students, the biggest theme that they were all mentioning was the community and the vibe Mm -hmm. that showed up on everybody's answer in some way or form about in grade 10 words. So sometimes it'd be like, it's dope or it's a chill place. But it, it all was classroom community or classroom vibe. Mm-hmm. And one student wrote, it has to do with how comfortable our teacher makes us feel. Mm. And those things started resonating with me because I was thinking, okay, like maybe it's from all the running that I've had. I've had a very up and down running year, but I've been very open in sharing the ups and downs. And I think maybe by sharing the ups and downs, now they feel like they can share their ups and downs. Yeah. And it's created that culture yeah and like what else other than having the practice like that do we really get to be honest with our students about like I think I can't think of another thing that I would feel as comfortable sharing with my students you know like challenges that you have with your spouse no that's not appropriate nope things that your children are going through like no that's kind of breaking their privacy um like what are the other things that we really grapple with like mental health challenges still a little taboo to share that with our students but running is something or any kind of like practice that you have is something that I think students can relate to and it's accessible yes it's Mm -hmm. something I I like that it's a medium where you're right like I'm not talking about my personal personal life but (laughs) it's still something very personal to me yes and there's, there's still that connection so I think they see that and they see you're passionate about something and now they want to be passionate about something too. I'm curious for you as a science teacher because having a science background and a science brain, you probably come to running very differently than somebody who say even just has like an athletic background or an English background. Do you have any insights on how your practice as a scientist or as a teacher, how that influences your running? I think I'm very logical in that I follow, I've run four marathons now, so I'm not like a super experienced marathoner, but I've never been injured. I've done high mileage. I've built from not being able to run 5K to running ultra marathons. I've done a lot of builds. You've never been injured? Like not even like a niggling ache in your hip? I've been sore. Yeah. I've been tight but I've never been injured. That's amazing. I've never, and there's a couple things. Some of it is running running taught me how to be mindful. It taught me a lot about learning my body Mm. and communicating with my body. But I'm also very logical in knowing that, okay, there's a recipe for how this works. And when it says easy run, you don't push it. You have to run your easy runs easy. You mm-hmm. have you have to trust in the plan, and you and I follow the plans to a T because <laughs> of that like logical science p- brain of mine. And if my body doesn't feel it, I take my run super easy. Mm-hmm. And I I I know that's hard for some people because when you feel good, you just want to run as fast as you can. But if you think about and this is us in teaching too. We have a week a week of work in seven days. 
how much can you push yourself in a seven day span? Can you push yourself five days a week? Barely, I can do two days, really. And and so there's, re- I do a lot of research and reading about it too, and there's research about the 20%, 80% rule. Mm-hmm. Where in a week, so a seven-day span, you do 20% of your runs hard, 80% easy. Well, what if you applied that to teaching, teaching as well? Or learning, like 20% intense, 80% easy and not by easy easy but you know really just like mm -hmm. doing it that's what I try to think about when I'm teaching as well Mm. I was talking to a coworker, and there's a reception happening later and I was thinking well if I think about my responsibilities in the last seven days I have parent-teacher interviews on Thursday and then we had to book it out of school on Friday get on a plane be here for cohort I have a full day Saturday at cohort. Then I have a full day Sunday to catch up with my Toronto family and friends. I get Monday off, I guess, but I probably should do my groceries and my reset for the week on Monday. Tuesday, I have parent-teacher interviews. And then there's, like, at that point, it's like, that's more than a 20-80 push. Yeah. And so I recognize that in myself, and I'm like, I have to take Wednesday, Thursday, Friday off. Yeah. Or I'm not going to. I'm going to burn out. Mm-hmm. And I think running has taught me a bit about that too, of mm. how to manage my energy so I don't burn out. Yeah. Because, you don't get teacher injuries. Yes. Because <laughs> it can happen. And I'm sure everybody has had those moments where they're like, I'm I'm at my end. Like, I can't keep pushing right or now. we need to take sick days because we literally are exhausted and it's manifesting as a cold or a flu or something worse. Like, how do we, yeah, how do we just find that? I don't like using the word balance because that's not the right word, but how do we find that consistent level of effort where we're pushing ourselves some of the time so that we're able to be good enough the rest of the time? Yeah. I think marathon training, going by that 20, 80% rule Mm. has really shaped my practice. It's like 20% something new, 20% trying to retake one or two lesson plans that I'm really going to improve, really going to change. And the other lesson plans, maybe I do redo it from last year, but at the same time, that doesn't mean I'm not going to improve them ever again. It just means it's not their week this week. And it's, it'll come, right? You know what I mean? It'll come. That's the title of this episode. It's the 2080 rule. Like, that's (laughs) so key. And, you know, I, like, I I mentioned this in an earlier episode on the mini series of like teaching and running, like, really, is that going to be a thing? But the parallels between the two disciplines are really, is, for me, they're really sparkly and it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. But just thinking about that and applying that to what I do as a teacher, I'm really excited by. So thank yeah. you. Awesome. Um, we talk a lot about not having a lot of time as teachers and being able to fit in marathon training is really a challenge. And I ask you this question not because I think everyone should be training for a marathon, which I do think everyone should try a marathon (laughs) once in their life. But we all, I think, as teachers have something that we want to do that we say we don't have time for, whether that's writing a book, whether that's starting a podcast, whether that's having more time with your friends. And marathon training, you have obviously found time to train for that four times. Yeah. So Tell us a little bit about how you find the time in a very consuming career to train for a marathon. 
I think of it as, do you brush your teeth every day? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> and do you feel really gross when you don't brush your teeth for I, a night? They are fuzzy and disgusting, yes. <laughs> and I kind of think of running as that, too. And I, I had a friend who I grew up with. He's my childhood, one of my childhood friends. He had a he got sick maybe three or four years ago and had to put a hold to running. Mm. But it was a hold. He very much called it a hold. And then he came back and he has done so well since he's mm. come back without divulging too much in his experiences. He, his most recent marathon, he ran in two hours and 35 minutes. What? Which is insane. It's like Olympic qualifying time. Like he's... I, I think it's so inspiring because it's only been one year since he's been recovered. Yeah. And before he got sick, he was running three hours, mm-hmm. which is still fast, by the no, way. That's insanely fast for those of you who don't but know. But again, 25 minutes off at that speed, mm-hmm. is inc- it's crazy. And he told me, I asked him, I said, how when you're sick and you're dealing with your health and everything else, like how do you motivate yourself? And he tells me, he says, there's never been a run that I've gone on where I felt worse at the end than I did when I started. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm thinking about that in my day, I think, you know what? I can always afford half hour to an hour in my day to go do a run. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it really sucks. But if it makes me feel better after, why not do it? And in terms of time, I'm not a morning person, so I don't even try to do it in the morning, which means I always have to do it at night, which is hard because when you have a rough day at school, it's really hard to find it in yourself. And sometimes I do them at like 9 p.m. Oh when gosh. I've decompressed, but then I'm sort of like, you know what? It's going to make me feel better, so I better just 9 to 10, I'll mm-hmm. be done, and I'll just go straight to bed. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I shouldn't be working or doing schoolwork 9 to 10. It's true. What other – I do not have children, and at 9 to 10, what other commitments do I have mm-hmm. to do? So if I don't have any commitments, I have no reason to tell myself not to do it. And that I have to kind of talk my way through it, like listing everything that's going on. But eventually it's just – I just have to get it done, and then – and then I think about what would happen in one week. I always think of things in a one-week span. So if I miss this run in a week, what does my week look like? Am I hitting my weekly goals? And if I'm not, is there a reason why? And if there isn't, well, then I need to get my butt in gear to keep myself on a routine of some sort. And you have a running group that you're part of. Are most of your runs on your own and some with the group? Or what's the balance between solo running and running with other people? I run my speed work. So that 20%, I run that totally with the group that I run with. Um, Easy runs, I run on my own. And I do it because I just need to decompress. I need my personal space. I need, it's just time to be on your own and say, you know what, this is my time. I'm going to think about whatever I want to de-stress, but this is my mindfulness time. So it's taking that time, giving it to myself. And so some people will say, how do you do it without music or this? And to me, it's not running. I'm not running because it's exercise. I'm running because it's time for me to cue into my body, see where I'm at, like, where am I for the week? How am I doing this week? Do I need to slow down from a school side of things? Can I pick it up for the rest of week? It's kind of my check-in to say, where am I and what is sustainable for me if I keep doing this? Because we, as teachers, we run from September until Christmas break. We're going at high speeds. 
And we have to think about, are we doing something that is sustainable for the next month, mm-hmm. for the next two, three months? So it's like your self-reflection time. It's it time to really tune into yourself. Mm-hmm. Most people, I think, in that kind of like 8 to 10 p.m. window are like watching Netflix and yes. they're, you know, like tuning out, but they're not tuning in. Mm-hmm. And so like at least when you're in that kind of a headspace, you're tuning in. Yes. You're tapping and in. I wrote a blog post, this is years ago too, but it was talking about, it was talking about how I first set my sights on Boston. And in one of them, I was talking about how people have their own ways to de-stress. There's Netflix and chill, or I don't know what else people do, but... <laughs> like, that's all we have now. <laughs> yeah, now there's Disney Plus. Woo, yes. So maybe Disney Plus is the new thing. But I didn't purchase Netflix because mm. I was a student who couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know... I had to find something. And so I found running. And it's something I could afford to do. I need, only needed one pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. And At that stage? At that point, at that point uh, there was no... I had not done winter running ever in my life at that point either. And it was just about improving myself. Can I... Today I ran for 10 minutes. Can I go 15 without walking? My first run goal was to run. It all started... Honestly, it all just started with... Wouldn't it be cool to say I ran for an hour straight without walking? Mm. That was my first goal ever. Yeah. That was it. And that probably seemed really insurmountable at that time, too. Like, I can't even imagine that at that point. Yeah. It was It was crazy. I couldn't even run 10K in an hour at that point, too. Right. So, so let's talk a little bit about that because you're really open on your blog and I'll link to the specific one that I'm referring to about how when you started running, you had a 45-minute 5K time, which, mm-hmm. you know, like for those of you who aren't runners, it's... It's not very quick. <laughs> it's not very quick. And I don't mean to say that that's not great, but it's it's slower than average, we'll say. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still respectable. Like it's, you know, you're doing the thing and you're finishing the 5K. And now at this point, you've actually qualified for the Boston Marathon, mm-hmm. which is considerably, you have to be considerably faster to uh, yeah. get into the Boston Marathon. Um, and I love how you talk to your students about that idea of progression, mm-hmm. of slowly getting better at something. Um, what has helped you progress so much in your running practice? I first started running at the Science Center. It's funny, we made a little Science Center run club, and after work, we would go to the Don Valley and we would run together. Yay. And it was just, I couldn't run, I couldn't do it. I honestly, my first 5K, I walked, I cried, I did it all. Um, I probably felt every, I've never felt so many emotions in one moment, (laughs) to be honest. And then I went home and I laid on my basement floor because I was like, my body hurts so much right now. And my boss at the time at the Science Center, she said, and I use this quotes with my students all the time too. She said, it's by trying hard things that we learn how tough we really are. Mm -hmm. So she said that to me, and I was like, you know what? Running is hard, but I want to see how tough I really am. And I was a very anxious individual. I was learning all these new things, and it started to help me regulate myself a bit too, but also give me the courage to say I can push myself outside my comfort zone. Like, it's not as scary as I think to be outside and my mind is making it worse than it really is Mm -hmm. and so I started thinking okay I'm just gonna run something I think I can hold for a long time and it was very slow Mm -hmm. seven minute 
pace or slower than that. I don't know. I don't remember. Seven minutes a kilometer. Seven minutes a kilometer, yes. And I wasn't very, like, I might have been fast. I didn't feel, I don't know. It's hard to remember how that really felt at the time. But I was running and I was just aiming to run without walking. Mm -hmm. So what is the speed I can carry this bouncing motion without walking ever? And then I just kept running with my coworkers from the Science Center. I was the caboose. I was far behind everyone else. I was okay with it because it was kind of time to just be in my own head. And I realized how much I liked it. And then I moved to downtown Toronto. And I joined, I started working at a run store. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Black Toe Running. I am obsessed with Black Toe Running. Okay. So, so I love I, that you worked there. I worked there and I got to know the two owners, Mike and Maya, really, really well. They're lovely humans. Uh, still to this day, Mike is one of my closest friends. I still, I'm in Ottawa and I think we still talk almost every day. He's such a great friend and mentor to me. And at that time in my life, I just wanted to learn more about running. I didn't know that much. And after a year of just doing it very consistently, I improved a lot. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, the what I put in is what I'm getting out. And I started to improve. And I ran, I think, I don't remember the times anymore. But I just remember thinking, like, I'm starting to run like everybody else thinking like thinking by everybody else. I just meant the run groups that were in Toronto. I just Mm -hmm. felt like I had the courage to keep up with them at this point. And Mike had talked to me about the race team at Black Toe and he wrote me into that. But it honestly, it sounds like a small deal, but it honestly changed my life Mm -hmm. because uh, they talked a lot about a race plan. It was my first time doing speed work consistently running on set days the the idea of the 2080 came and they i also had a mentor there was so so much about that race team was about growth mindset they have a mentor because you're not an expert and there's always somebody who knows more than you but having that mentorship i had mike as a mentor i kind of look at him as my toronto life run friend mentor but i also had a race team mentor who just mentored me about running and running healthy, mm. which was, we talk a lot about running fast and getting faster, but how often do we talk about running healthy? And with integrity. Yes, and my race mentor was phenomenal for mm. it. And he really coached me on just making sure you're running healthy, you're listening to your body. It's not just about being the fastest person out there, yes. but it's about having a good time and by being on the team I also ended up pacing people it was such a community Mm -hmm. and this community I felt honestly it was thanks to Mike for pushing me to do it because I was too shy to join the team when I first started working at the store I was like oh this looks like a cool group to run with (laughs) but I was too shy to ask or I'm not good enough yet yes yeah I'm not good enough yet was definitely Mm. a big thought And then Mike kind of pushed me, being like, no, you can join the team. Like, he kind of believed in me. Mm -hmm. And that's all it takes, right? It just takes one person to push you outside your comfort zone. And now you have this social community that everybody's pushing outside their comfort zone. Even if you're not ready for it. Like, you're never ready for the thing. Mm -hmm. You get ready for the thing by doing the thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. And everyone's doing the thing that's not comfortable for them. And when you're surrounded by people who are all pushing their comfort zone, 
but all supporting each other to push their comfort zone, all of a sudden you feel safe to push your comfort zone. And it's because of that that I had, I think it was my second year on the race team, I had just run my first marathon and I had run a time, I think that made me three minutes off from Boston qualifying. Oh, for your first marathon. I don't know how I did it. I honestly think it was Mike and my race mentor. Yeah, well, I know exactly how you did it. Like, because you had good guidance. Yeah, I had one run, and I remember this so vividly before my first marathon, where I had zero confidence. I looked at Mike and my race mentor. I was like, I can't do this training run. I can't do it. It's too hard. It was 2K warm-up, 12K at marathon pace. <laughs> 2k cool down yeah. i was like i cannot run 12k it's 30 degrees outside it's too hot i can't do this and mike and my race mentor they ran that run with me oh. one on each side yeah. so here's like little me and these two tall guys <laughs> right and but they ran the entire run with me in the last 2k i remember all i could tell mike was i can't do this i can't do this this is too hard i need to stop i need to stop and he was like you don't need to stop you just keep going. Mm-hmm. And he dragged me on until I could finish, until my watch clicked, mm. and which meant I was done that 12K. And I remember just like my tears came out. I was like, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I did it. It's okay. It's like you go back to your basement floor and lay down on your floor. Yes. <laughs> and then after that, and then I was three minutes away, but Mike was, Mike was the first person who texted me after my first marathon too. And he, I didn't even know my time right. at that point. So he texted me. He's like, he texted me this time. He's like, I'm so proud of you. You've earned it. And it was so nice to feel like someone you look up to had been proud of mm-hmm. the things you were doing. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, I think Boston's realistic. But I also remember thinking like, me running Boston, somebody who took... I think my official time was like 43 minutes for that 5K. Mm-hmm. How how did we get here? But I don't know if it, it doesn't feel like it was me. It feels like it was because of the community oh, I was gosh. in and the culture. And I remember thinking, I'm going to aim for Boston. And that year, my big races just so happened that my race mentor was the official pace bunny. Mm-hmm. for. He was the pace bunny at Around the Bay, and I was aiming to break two, two hours and 30 minutes. Yeah. And he was the two-hour and 30-minute pace bunny. Mm. And I remember with, like, 3K to go, he's like, you're looking strong. Go lose me. And he, like, pushed me to just, like, leave him. And and then when I ran that marathon to qualify for Boston, he was the three-hour and 30-minute pacer. Mm. So it's kind of – it worked out well, but my race mentor was there every step of the way. Mm-hmm. Literally, too. Literally. And – it was just cool to feel like there were people who believed in you to do something. Mm-hmm. And then you actually did it and made them validate their beliefs. Like, it's just the full circle. It was all, it's community, it's culture, it's the way that people supporting each other make you feel. Mm-hmm. And it's not that, and just because you qualify for Boston doesn't mean you're not helping out someone else. Mm-hmm. That same year, I ended up pacing someone who really wanted to break 50 minutes for her 10K. It's one of those, you give a little, you get a little. You get a lot, actually. You don't get a little. You get a ton, Mm. right? And you get what you put in, I think. So many of those ideas about how we progress and get better at things, it applies to, well, it applies to all learning, but even just thinking about some of those principles that could apply to students getting better at science, students getting better at reading, students getting better at Mm -hmm. math, like 
finding the mentor who will believe in you before you believe in yourself. Yeah. Finding the supportive community that makes you run faster, that makes you go harder, that keeps you accountable. But also like what I hear you say is getting comfortable with discomfort, like as teachers and as mentors to young people, really helping young people be okay with the discomfort that is learning. Like it is inherently uncomfortable to be learning. And you did that with your running practice. I think hearing the words you could do it or it's within your abilities Mm -hmm. really pushed me. And now that, now that I'm saying it right now, I realize I say that a lot to my students too, that it's within your ability to do this. But it was never, like, you never went from going to that 5K where you ran 45 minutes. You didn't jump right from that to, I want to do Boston. Like, it no. took you time, and it there was, like, manageable small steps, it sounds like, that you did along the way. So, mm-hmm. like, each step was just a little bit more uncomfortable than the one before, just yes. a little bit more difficult. Like, your mentor was pushing you just a little bit more, pushing you when you were like, if they didn't say that, you know, go faster than me, maybe you wouldn't have done that. It's true. And I kind of congested a four-year lifespan into the span of maybe a couple minutes. I mean, this is a four-year period, Mm -hmm. but I think you're right. It's just taking a bit of that discomfort and pushing yourself. And Mike tells me all the time, I, I do need a bit of that mental help before a race, but he'll always say, it's gonna feel uncomfortable. Yeah. If it doesn't feel uncomfortable, you can push yourself a little more. And learning that I can push myself. I you're right. Like I can push myself. I can't push myself too much to the point of injury. There's that small mm-hmm. there's that sweet spot. But learning your body and learning where that sweet spot is, I think, is part of the journey. And I imagine that, you know, for your students, because you have such a immediate experience with that like most of the really hard things that we have learned probably happened so long ago that they're not fresh for us as teachers Mm -hmm. like I'm thinking about the major skills that I've learned and they've happened so far in the past now that they're not relevant to me anymore whereas parenting and running those skills are actually right now right here for me so when students hear that happen on a almost like daily basis from you I imagine it allows Mm -hmm. them to take academic risks or trust you giving them that little push in the classroom yeah I think we just had parent teacher interviews so this is fresh in my mind but I had a parent tell me that the reason their child really likes my class is because he feels like I give him a good kick in the butt Mm. and I thought that was so important because most of the time they say things like oh they love how fun it is they love the activities they love the hands-on which I think is still important but It's nice to see a student recognize that they're getting pushed out of their comfort zone, but they like that. And I kind of feel like that's what I got at Black Toe. I got that someone's pushing me out of my comfort zone. But I don't think you would let someone push you like they did if you didn't feel like they knew you and they saw you and that you were safe with them. So, yeah, you're probably giving that kid a good kick in the pants, but they're definitely also feeling safe with you they probably also feel like you care a great deal about them so that you can receive that push Mm -hmm. because you get that they care about you and that you know they get that you have their best interests at heart there's a trust i think that's there and i think there's a trust that like if mike told me i could run something today i would probably believe him yeah i would probably nudge a bit back being like that's really uncomfortable (laughs) but i would believe him Mm -hmm. 
And I think that it, you're right. It's the trust. There's a big trust in that relationship. And maybe teachers, like even just hearing you even use that word like race mentor or mentor, but maybe we as teachers, especially new teachers, need those two really tall people on yeah. either side of us to mentor us through the beginning of our career or even yeah. as we transition to a new stage of our career. Like I think mm-hmm. the idea of mentorship with our students seems really obvious, but who are we being mentored by as teachers? Yeah, yeah. and I think we talk we talk a lot about teachers being learners and lifelong learners. And I think every one of us will agree that that's who we are. But I think it's how often do we tell our students that we are learners mm-hmm. too. So they think, and they know, oh, they're just like us. We're just learning different things, mm-hmm. but we're learning. Well, not even just telling them, but showing them. Like, I mm-hmm. think that it's one thing for you to say, like, I'm a learner with you. But when you're actually giving them the evidence of you learning, it changes something, I think. Yeah. Okay. Describe yourself in three words as a runner and then describe yourself in three words as a teacher. As a runner, I would say I'm very bubbly. Uh, I think I am very motivated and I think I'm very curious. I think that I think that shapes a lot of me with running. It's what if I change this or what if I, what if, right? Who knows? There's so many what ifs. I think as a teacher, my students would say enthusiastic, uh, hands down. I think caring. And I think, oh, third one, I think I would say, this one's hard, fun. Hmm. I think I'd put fun in there. So basically the same three. You just said them in kind of a different Different way. Different word. Yeah. (laughs) And I think it. you show a different, I think with students, it's a different type. I find with running, it's a curiosity, it's a personal curiosity, like how much more can I improve, Mm -hmm. right? Where is our own limits? Because I still haven't found my limit yet. Mm -hmm. I'm still looking. So where does that stop? Maybe it never stops. I don't know. And as we hit different phases of our lives, as you know, you have to adjust to your goals. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'll never hit a limit because there's always something different and something changing what how running is in my life and right and the goal isn't necessarily about time and distance but maybe the goal is about how you feel or about integrity or joy or something less about the number yeah I think it's more about improving who you are in the moment yeah and that yeah the present of who you are and as a teacher though I wouldn't really say I, I guess I'm probably curious from a pedagogy standpoint But when I'm in a classroom, the students don't see that. And so from a student perspective, I think they're seeing the enthusiasm. And I think they know that I really care about their growth as a person. But it's about also making learning engaging and and fun and saying, if this is where we are in the present today, I've definitely walked into a class saying, the mood here, today's present, it's not right, something's going on let's completely scrap my lesson plan. We're doing something different. Mm -hmm. And it's not like the curriculum's not a priority. We're still learning something. We're just learning it differently because we are in a different mood today. All right, on that note, we're gonna transition to our ticket out the door, which is a series of random questions. And they just are meant to uh, extract every drop of learning we possibly can from this conversation. So we'll start with what would be your last meal on earth? Sushi. Mm. My favorite. It's your favorite movie. Oh, I don't really. You know what? I'm just going to 
shamelessly say it, uh, in class, we are definitely high school musical singers. So I'm just going to say high school musical. I don't know if it's my absolute favorite, but it shapes my classroom. It's part of my everyday life. If you weren't an educator, yeah. what would you be doing professionally? In a perfect world? Yeah. Running my own sign show on TV. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely watch that. That would be amazing. What is your favorite snack to eat at school? Extreme pizza goldfish. What? I, amazing. Yeah. It's, it's got that right amount of salt. When you need something salty, it's got the crunch. And there's always two or three bags of it on my desk. Amazing. That's perfect. <laughs> What's the best gift you've ever received as a teacher? A homemade card from a grade 11 boy who I was switching schools and he drew an entire card from scratch, colored it in, shaded it, but then on the inside wrote a message about the fa- the best parts of his school year referring to actually specific moments. Mm-hmm. Like he remembered them, specific moments, and then just thanking me for a great year. That's lovely. Yeah. Finally, what do you think will be the future of learning? In my perfect world, I think we will have teacher mentors for students. I know some schools we have the advisee program, but I I would really love to see that advisory have flourish more into a more growing students all-rounded, looking at students full circle beyond just segmented, seg, I don't know if segmented is the right word, but sectioned like subjects, but looking at students full picture of what are our goals, just period, not what are your goals in science, just where are we going? Thank you so much for sharing your practice and just sharing yourself and your writing and on the show today. Thanks for having me. It's been such a delight. I so loved May's infectious energy, disarming positivity, and perspective on life. In the show notes, you can find a link to May's blog, as well as how to find her on Twitter. May is an awesome writer, and I promise you that going down the rabbit hole of reading some of her blog posts will be time well spent. If you are listening to the show, please take a few minutes to give a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let me know what's working. Share what brings you back. Put some feedback in to help me improve your listening experience. And just let me know you exist out there in internet land. It takes all but a minute or two, and it really honestly makes a huge difference in how other people can find the show and see if it's a good fit for them. That's all the time we have for today, folks. Spend some time today doing whatever you love. And remember, we are teaching tomorrow.